and welcome to this week's episode of the Church Society podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different from normal. We're going to be hearing a conversation that our director, Lee Gatiss, recorded while he was in America earlier this year. He was chatting with Matt and Anne Kennedy. Matt is the rector of the Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. I'd always thought that was pronounced Binghamton, a bit like Birmingham, uh, but apparently not. It's Binghamton, New York. Um, They have an incredible story, which you'll hear in a moment, that illustrates uh, two great Bible truths. Firstly, that the Lord builds his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And secondly, that even when people intend things for evil, God can intend them for good. So listen as they uh, share with Lee something of what they've been through and be amazed at God's sovereign provision for them, even while you may be despairing and horrified at some people's sin and wickedness. Now, Matt, you are, well, you were an ordained minister in the Episcopal Church in the USA. Is that right? Yes, that is. I was ordained in 2002. 2002. So you were working in the mainline Episcopal Church in the USA. Um, and, and tell us about your early ministry in, in the Episcopal Church, what that was like. I was right out of seminary. I was uh, appointed to be a rector in a small church in central New York. And so you don't have like a curacy and assistant minister position first. You go straight in to be the rector somewhere. Most people have a curacy first. For some, this was a small enough church. They, they, they wanted someone... Uh, to lead them, they didn't have a, an assistant position, and, and uh, great. So they they hired me, which is I'm not sure how they feel about that now, but they <laughs> <laughs> they hired me right out of seminary. And uh, is that where you've stayed? I've, that's been the only church I've been the pastor of. That's been I guess since 2002, 14, 15 years now. So yes. So you really know those people, and you they know you, and you've ministered with them for all those years. Yes. Yes. Now, you are no longer in the Episcopal Church of the USA. You're not in tech anymore. Right. We officially departed in 2007. Now, that was over the consecration of Gene Robinson as the, the, the bishop in New Hampshire. Is that right? That is. That's true. The, the consecration took place in 2003. So we managed to hold on for a good number of years. But it ultimately, ultimately, ultimately became untenable. and We just had to leave. You, you objected to his consecration because he's a, um, a same-sex in a same-sex marriage. Uh, he's a gay man, and he was pushing that as an agenda for the church. You thought that was a bad thing, and you made that clear to your diocese. We did, and it wasn't just, of course, the, the one man. It was also because the, the theology that undergirded his his uh, consecration was spreading, and our own our own bishop voted for his consecration and was promoting the theology that that uh, that enabled the whole church ultimately to embrace it so it was but they allowed you to have a different opinion surely they they did they did allow us to have um, a different different opinion that that's absolutely absolutely true the the way i'm not sure how things work in england but in the episcopal church the, the bishop comes around to visit once a year or so, and the, as a rector, I had the authority to ask him not to, not to preach or to teach from our uh, from our pulpit, and I, I did that, and he was very gracious, and we had a, a really good relationship for a number of years after the consecration, and he knew where I stood, I knew where he stood, 
we had a little group within our diocese of, of conservative clergy who were opposing uh, the, the move toward uh, liberalization, but that, that turned sour uh, fairly rapidly in 2006 when Captain Jeffrey Shorey became the presiding bishop. And uh, from what I hear, that's about the time when relationships between bishops and their conservative clergy began to go sour around the country. Right. So you managed to maintain a sort of a bit of a distance from your bishop because of what he'd done in consecrating Gene Robinson and promoting that theology about gay relationships, undermining the Bible. So you stayed in the denomination for the, for a while, but then it started to become much more difficult to do so. Um, how did this all blow up and really change for you then? Well, in 2006, the General Convention of the Episcopal Church met in Columbus, Ohio, and it wasn't just the it wasn't just at that point that Catherine Jefferson Shorey was elected the presiding bishop. That was also the the convention when the Episcopal Church decided was was being asked by the communion at the, at the time to draw back from the brink and and not to reaffirm its position with regard to Gene Robinson and. Instead, the Episcopal Church affirmed the position it had taken officially. And, and so that was, for many conservative churches, the point at which we said, okay, there's no turning back now. What, what had been um, a, an isolated, possibly, uh, possibly temporary position that we could push back upon and hopefully win victory someday, now, after 2006, many of us, if not most of us, believed to become the permanent position of the Episcopal Church. So the, the fabric had been torn, you thought for a while you might be able to sew it back up um, and, and keep the keep the clothing, um, but at this point it, it's so torn that it's it's got to go. I was at that convention and the mentality on the part of most bishops was we are going to do what we're going to do and we don't care what the world communion says, we're, we're going to head in this direction. So what did what did you do? Because you're um, you're more evangelical, more reformed in your yes. theology. How, what what did you do? How could you get around that situation when that's happening in your denomination? At that point, we said, "Look, we can't we can't stay." And, and one of the reasons we said that is because uh, in the Episcopal Church, were I to be run over by a bus, the, uh, the the bishop would have the most power in choosing the successor for my congregation. Right. And and for us, that wasn't an option. He, we were still small enough where the bishop, if he wanted to, could just move in and fire the vestry, call the, the church a mission. The and vestry the, being the, the, the church council. Right, yeah, right. he could just fire them and put in any guy or, or girl that he wanted as the new new rector. He could he could make the, the pay, he could take it from the status of a, of, a, of a church that would have a rector to make it more. In America, anyway, the vicar is someone who is directly under the control of the bishop. Right. And it's quite a priest. Uh, a priest yes, we would call it a, a priest in charge instead of the yeah. rector or vicar. Yeah. Right, right. And so we were we were susceptible to that kind of move at that point. And so, so you decided to leave. And yes. um, so you would be able to, with your building and all your um, staff and uh, the ministry you were doing, just transfer into a, another denomination, a new denomination, or become independent or something. And that would be hunky-dory, and the, the denomination allowed you to do that, right? That's what we thought. And in oh. fact, <laughs> because our bishop had been so friendly toward us up to this point, and, and so gracious, we thought, well, surely there's a way we can work this out. And we... There was, there was at the time some debate about who really owned the building. We, of course, had the deed. The, the, our parishioners had 
had occupied, built up, maintained the building since 1870. The diocese's name was not on the deed or in uh, any of the any of the paperwork, and yet we understood that that since the 70s, the Episcopal Church, every diocese in the, diocese in the Episcopal Church had claimed ownership of all parish property. It's like a land grab. They it just was. sort of claimed yeah. that it was theirs, even though right. the individual congregations had paid for it and your name was on the deeds. Right. Dennis, Dennis, it was called the Dennis Canon. And uh, it, was, it was approved, I think, in 1974 at the General Convention. And, you know, one day you wake up and you own your building. The next day, and all the bishops, all the bishops of the Episcopal Church agreed that you don't. And it's not uh, a problem at first, but suddenly it became a problem when you're thinking about leaving. Exactly. So what happened? Well, what happened is uh, we approached our bishop. We said, look, we'd like to we'd like to leave. We understand that you claim to own this this property. We believe we do, but we would like to avoid any kind of any kind of legal action. So why don't we go enter into a process of negotiation and we can ultimately offer you some money to purchase the property. We wouldn't want to call it your purchase, call it whatever you want, but we'll, we'll figure out a way. To so you it. offered them a substantial amount of money in order to keep your own building, as it were. Right. They would walk away um, free of responsibility. They'd have some money for a building which was never theirs in the first place, and you'd be able to carry on using it in good conscience, etc. It sounds like a good solution, a gentleman's agreement. That was the idea. Um, we were we were in the process of working through exactly how much um, we had a joint appraisal done, all the all of the the things necessary to figure out what we would want to, to give them, and what we could. I mean, we were in a large church, and we were, we weren't rich. We probably could not have paid for the entire amount at one time. It would have had to be a structured payment settlement. Yeah. So you offered um, them what about one hundred and fifty thousand for total, that building? But we were. But we told them. Every we said, if we're willing, if this is too small, we'll we go will go up. Well, we need to figure. We want to keep our building. And, and so, so, what did they say? What did they say? At first, it was oh, this is great. Um, but then, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. But there was a very sudden shift in tone from from the diocese, and we had one meeting where we were told that all of the the protocols that we had. That we had set up and set in place, and we're just about to enact to uh, to trigger the deal. We're no longer going to be workable, and I just odd when we were bad. We decided we called them up. We said, "Let's have another meeting and just kind of see." Uh, we're not sure what's going on. They were very hesitant. They wanted to know who's coming to this meeting. Why do you want to meet again? We told you what's not acceptable anymore. Uh, we. Relational walls are going up at this point very, from their very, side. Right, right. So we finally, we finally managed to get a meeting with them. We drove up to Syracuse, myself, my two wardens, and uh, my treasurer. We walk in to the conference room before we had been meeting in, a, in the bishop's office next to his fireplace. We were ushered into his conference room, and instead of the bishop and his canon, which is who we usually met with, there was a bishop, his canon, his chancellor, and a, and a secular lawyer, an attorney who doesn't belong work church. And instead of a, of a conversation, they had a, some documentation, uh, basically a demand letter that we would vacate the property um, within six weeks. So they kicked you out with six weeks' notice. That's right. That's right. So we took that home. We consulted our own attorney and said, uh, we, don't have the re- we, we, didn't, we didn't have the resources to get out. 
in six weeks. We couldn't have, we couldn't have done that. So we said no, and uh, they sued us. <laughs> they sued you. They sued us. Yes. They sued you to eject you from the church exactly. that you'd been in since eighteen seventy. And all the while, <laughs> we were saying, "Look, just give us some time. We'll, 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 we will get the money. We will pay you. We'd be happy to." Well, there were, there were sort of two things that come to mind then is that this is a few years ago I want to know what happened to that building and that ch that church and what happened to your congregation so um, let's let's start with the with with your uh, congregation I've been to your church we we were in there this weekend I was preaching for you uh, to a big congregation um, lovely building how on earth did you get this building what where did it come from at the time, we weren't that big. We had 90, 90 people totally in our total in our church, and uh, we the, the lawsuit lasted for, for the legal wrangling of the, within the lawsuit lasted for about two years, from two thousand and seven to two thousand and nine. And uh, during that time, um, some parishioners got together and decided to start stop donating to the church and start donating to a separate. Uh, organization that they, they themselves set up and an independent and trust of some sort or foundation you would call it here precisely so the during the course of the two years of the lawsuit the that trust gained almost all of our pledges everyone who came to our church was pledging to that trust and not to the church itself while my salary was being paid from the church, and and so ultimately, by the time we lost the lawsuit, there was there were our coffers were dry. There was nothing nothing there, but we yeah. did have this trust set aside, um, which enabled us then to have some some kind of uh, hope after after losing. We did day, you find a building? Did you find a building to meet in quickly? Not immediately. The day that the the lawsuit was finally put to rest uh, my, my lawyer called me and said look you guys you need to start packing up right now because the way the judgment's written you could have a sheriff on your front door today huh. demanding your exit from not just the church but uh, I was living in the rectory in the, the parsonage and so my wife and my four kids at the time uh, we were panicked it was a Thursday and was my wife was out shopping. I told her when she got back, and we just immediately started throwing stuff into boxes. And we called up people in the parish, and they came over to help. And um, it, in about two or three days' time, we packed everything up and were throwing things in trucks. We didn't know where we were going to go. We didn't know. We, we, we had no idea. Uh, we well, Anne, Anne's here. I, what, yeah. How was that for you, Anne? What did, what did it feel like? It was. It wasn't totally surprising. I think we expected to lose, but we didn't, you know, it expected that day. Uh, we, I, I think there was, it to be that quick. We, um, we spent the weekend packing the church and then um, the whole church came over to our house and just packed our house without direction. I think it was, I mean, I think the whole church was in shock, but it was pretty cheerful too. I think we had kind of been waiting waiting to lose for a long time so the mood was pretty somber, um, but. somber but you know relieved to finally know that we had really lost the get baby. some clarity clarity situation right but also very anxious because we did have nowhere to go at that point on the 
but you do now have a building and um, it, you got it from an interesting source, right? T- tell us about that, Anne. So the uh, church, uh, the Catholic diocese in our part of the country has been doing a lot of merging of churches and uh, St. Andrew's Church had m- merged with uh, St. John's Catholic um, in December of 2008, uh, late December, and they had moved out of St. Andrew's and it was sitting there and it was on the market um, and being looked at by a truck company and uh, trucking, trucking, trucking company. So we were in the paper, of course, and Monsignor Mahar called us on Monday, that we lost the lawsuit on Thursday, and said, you should just move into my rectory because I've just moved out. So just go stay there. And um, so we just desperately packed. We, we moved in there Thursday. So it was one week after losing. We managed to get out of our house and we lost our, our cat in the process. We've written about that online. Oh. We got him back. He's <laughs> mentally ill now. Oh. So uh, yeah, poor thing. But uh, yeah, we then we worshipped one Sunday in a gym, a, a Baptist church took us in and let us worship in their gym but then once Senior Mahar called and said uh, what are you where did you worship on Sunday you should just worship in the church um, you know just pay utilities so we we did that he was such a Christian <laughs> yeah. so the, the Baptists took you in and eventually the Catholics okay. gave you their building um, so that you were able to, to move to a different place just down the road and actually um, I've seen compared the two buildings where you are now is a nicer building um, and you've got a nice big parking lot outside of your building as well so it actually worked out in some ways quite well for you um, but the the other part of the story is I mean and you've grown as well as a church since then so I, I see that um, but the other part of the story is what happened to the to the old building now I passed it uh, on my trip to, to Binghamton this week um, and it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to be a church. So, uh, w- what happened to it? Tell us tell us about that, Matt. Well, at, at first, the Episcopal Church, their justification for coming after us was that we were using the building in a way that was not in keeping with the intention for which many generations of Episcopalians had given their money uh, to the upkeep and the of the building and the property. So, being a conservative um, evangelical sort of right, parish, of you weren't using the uh, building in in the Episcopalian way or for Episcopalian purposes anymore. Precisely, because all of those dead Episcopalians from the 1800s would have loved to have (laughs) same-sex blessings and same-sex marriage. That's why they gave their money, in order to promote uh, (laughs) same-sex agenda. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So that was was the argument they were making, and they wanted, and they said, well, we want to re, we want to take this property back and restore it to proper Episcopal use, and there was some talk of planting a congregation in that building made up of, uh, of people from the area that would just start going to church there, but there wasn't enough interest and there weren't enough people to do that. So ultimately they, they had this dilapidated building, uh, now back in the tax rolls, um, sitting there that they had to figure out some way to, to get to to sell it. Right. And you thought at one point that a Sikh group might uh, try and to, to buy the building? We thought that... There were, we heard rumors. We were hoping, you know, of course, we, my parishioners, generations of their families, some of them, had, had lived in 
worship there. And so there was this hope that maybe some small church group, some church plant, whatever denomination might move in there and continue yeah. worshiping Jesus in that in that space. But then we started hearing rumors of other religious groups being interested in the building. And we, I, I thought, surely that's not going to happen. Surely even the Episcopal Church is, <laughs> is going to want to sell it to a Christian group before they would sell it to a non-Christian group. But you were wrong. I was wrong. I was, I was terribly wrong. I, so I, tell us what the building is now, today. Well, I remember the day I was driving. It was, a, it was in November, I believe. I was driving home from work, from church, and I saw a great crane, big crane, taking the cross off of the steeple of the Episcopal Church, or what was once the Episcopal Church. And uh, the crews had already, some work crews had already painted the doors from red to green, had eviscerated the cross that was on the door, front door. And um, it, there was a sign in front of it that said Islamic Awareness Center. Islamic Awareness Center. So the church had been, your church had been sold to a Muslim group as a Muslim evangelism sort of area center. Yes. Yes, I stopped. I stopped and I saw the crane, and I, the imam was there. I, I pulled in. I, I, he's he's sort of well known in Binghamton. I pulled in and I talked to him, um, and he said, I asked him, uh, how, "Did you buy this property?" Yes, we bought it. Bought it. He must have offered much more than you had you had I, offered. I, I guess that would be the case. I asked him, "Do you mind if I ask how much you're, you're paying for it?" And he said, oh, fifty thousand. Fifty thousand." And which is one third of the price that we were fifty fifty thousand, whereas you'd offered a hundred and fifty with the option of going up. Exactly. So, so the the Episcopal. Let me just get this right because this seems so unbelievable. It sounds like fake news. <laughs> it sounds like the Episcopal Church kicked you out right. because you were conservative on the issues of sexuality and, and the Bible, um, and then uh, they wouldn't let you keep the building because you were not doing and, and believing in accordance with those from 150 years ago who put this building up and then they sold it for a third of the price you offered to the Muslims. Yes, yes, that, I know it sounds crazy. It sounds like something the National Enquirer would put out, but that's 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 what happened. I mean, I, I, I keep in charity trying to think, well, there must be something else to the story that I'm not that, <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not seeing. but. But it, you can laugh about it now, but it, it probably didn't feel great at the time. It didn't. It was it was devastating to a lot of people who, again, they, they remember being there as children and uh, raising their children there. It's it's it was it was a devastating thing for the congregation. It was really hard because you know when you lose a, a lawsuit or you lose a, a battle like that, one one thing that we as Christians have to do is learn to forgive and love our enemies and. And so when we first got this new building, we were working on that really hard because how do we how do we think about the Episcopal Church now? We should pray for them. We should pray for their, uh, the repentance of our bishop, our former bishop. We should work on trying to heal so we don't carry bitterness forward into our new ministry. And then right as we're you know, in the cusp of doing that, you see this, you see this uh, crane taking the cross down off the oh. building. And, how, how does it feel for you, Anne? How, how was it for you at the time? It was... Not awesome. Not awesome. <laughs> it was difficult. I think you kind of go into crisis mode and you do the work that needs to be done. So we, you know, we moved into the building and we tried to keep things as normal for the church as possible for our kids. Uh, it does. It stands out for our children as 
sort of a seminal moment in their lives. Um, and our four, the four that we had then really do miss the old, you know, building, which for them is a true, you know, that's what a, ch a church should look like. Um, but at the same time, it was very joyful. I think people were really delighted to see how God provided so, so much for us. Um, and the, the space where we are now is so much better that it wasn't hard to begin to work on forgiveness and, um, and to be cheerful, very cheerful about what God had done. So I would say there's no bitterness now at all towards the Episcopal Church. And I think the, the just the freedom to worship, um, which sounds very American, the freedom uh, to worship. We'll forgive you for sounding American uh, since, right. since I believe you might be. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. The, um, at another time, we'll do a podcast about the illegal colonial rebellion right, of uh, uh, 1776, but, exactly. but maybe not now. Not today. It is very nice to worship uh, truly and uh, without fear um, and so we haven't really looked back uh, there were some really grievous moments Matt had to have two of his teeth pulled at the time which was really painful and our cat that was not the Episcopal Church's fault it wasn't their fault <laughs> okay just clarify but that. it did just sort of all come together in this perfect moment and then um, our cat I was um, getting the cat back was also sort of symbolic to the church. Because did you say your cat has been mentally uh, affected by this uh, whole occasion? Uh, it, it ha he has never recovered from uh, the time that he spent in the bowels of the, the Episcopal Church rectory. Um, and he was pulled. They found him when they went in to take over the house. They heard him. And they called us and we all went over and we pulled down part of the wall in the basement and hauled him out into the light and got him back. So that that Praise was a Lord. little resurrection time. But then, uh, of course, now he's uh, obese. He has an eating problem as a result of his time in the Episcopal Church. Okay, well, uh, thank you for talking to us. We will obviously pray for the cat. What's the cat's name? Banda. Okay. Well, obviously we'll uh, pray for the cat, but um, thanks for telling us some of your story, guys, and both of you, Matt and Anne Kennedy, um, and for the church in Binghamton, the Church of the Good Shepherd. Yes. The Good Shepherd has shepherded you through a very difficult time, so uh, we're thankful for that. Um, and we will obviously ponder these things in England as to what we can learn from a situation like that. Particularly, I think, impressive to see the way that the Lord has... Um, honored your sacrifice and being faithful to him, um, how the church has grown in, in depth and, and numbers, um, and how you've been enabled by God's grace to forgive those who did um, such an unbelievable and incredible thing uh, to you. So thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Matt and Anne, for sharing that story with Lee and with the rest of us. I just want to give a quick shout out for Anne's book of devotionals. It's called Nailed It, Sarcastic Devotions for Angry and Worn Out Christians, which not only has the best title of any book of devotionals I know, it also has the best cover, it features a picture of jail with hammer and tent peg 
dripping with blood. So I think you get the sense from that. This may not be your normal book of devotions, but I have to say I have found them incredibly stimulating and challenging and also reassuring. So I would highly recommend that uh, to you. That's Nailed It by Anne Kennedy. It's been great to hear something of Matt and Anne's story and testimony to God's provision for them uh, and his plan for their lives and their church. If you've got a story to share or know someone who does that you think uh, would be encouraging and challenging and edifying for the rest of us to hear, do drop me an email and we can see if we can arrange to uh, interview you. Uh, for that that's it for this week's podcast thank you so much for listening once again and please do tune in again next week